Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Today is part two of an absolutely remarkable two-part story where we talk about brutal killer Alan Grimson, those he killed, other cases where he is a strong suspect, and then all the others that he could have sexually assaulted or murdered around the world. It's such a shocking story. I'm currently away on holiday in my leopard skin thong with limited access to the internet. So as always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon and I'll personally name check any new members of this exclusive group when I'm back in the country. And now all my current live events are over, a thank you to everyone who came along and said hi. I've loved meeting so many of you. All of you. (laughs) All of you. All of you bar one. No, all of you. And please look out for some more exciting live events coming soon. Talking of live events, the Murder Trial Live arrives in Birmingham this summer, when a live murder trial will take place over the course of the evening, and you, as an attendee, will decide the outcome. Check out my website at uktruecrime.com for more details about this event. If you recall, last week we heard Grimson confess to the terrible murder of 18-year-old Nicholas Wright, who died at Grimson's flat in Portsmouth after his first week at sea, when he rebuffed his sexual advances. During the attack, Grimson cut off one of Nicholas's ears as a trophy, and speaking about the murder, he said, It was such a feeling. I've never ever had that feeling. It was a feeling of power. I would say it was better than sex, better than an orgasm. We then left the story with Grimson confessing to detectives that he had killed one other person. But before we resume, let's set some context by taking a look at the music we were listening to on the date that Grimson confessed. That was the 16th of December, 1999. Once again, a chart of contrasts, it's fair to say. John Lennon's classic Imagine was at number three in the UK charts, just behind the awful Millennium Prayer from Cliff and Westlife with I Have a Dream. Shall I pause briefly while you download the last two? And to think, I laughed at the Teletubbies last week. In the US, Santana featuring Rob Thomas topped the charts with Smooth. And in the Australian album charts, the top-selling album of the year was Shania Twain with Come On Over, keeping the Bee Gees with One Night Only from the top of the charts. In the news, this was the month that rapper Jay-Z stabbed record executive Lance Rivera at a nightclub in New York. The United Kingdom devolved political power in Northern Ireland to the Northern Ireland executive. Australia beat France 3-2 in the final of tennis's Davis Cup. Portugal returned Macau to China. And Boris Yeltsin resigned as President of Russia, leaving Prime Minister Vladimir Putin as acting president. Surely it would never last. Wow, was that really 20 years ago? It was the month that the Spanish authorities thwarted two huge terrorist attacks and severe weather in France killed over 100 people and caused extensive damage to property, trees and the French national power grid. And this month in the Premier League, those days when it held some interest to me, saw the mighty Leeds United win at Chelsea and at Derby. In fact, let's just not talk about Derby and move on. So resuming the story... As detectives in Hampshire continued to interview Alan Grimson in the interview room, he told them about a man he'd killed whom he knew only as Sean. 
He killed him a year ago in December 1998, one year to the day after killing Nicholas Wright. As he had done with Nicholas, Grimson led detectives back to Brick Kiln Lane at West Tisted, where hidden in undergrowth was a badly decomposed body. He was identified by palm prints and dental records as 20-year-old Sean Jenkins. He had dumped his two victims under four miles apart from each other. Sean was a barman, originally from Newbury in Berkshire, but had been living in Portsmouth and worked at the Hogshead pub in Palmerstone Road, Southsea. They had not been seen since December 1998, and yet no one, not even his family, had reported him missing. He had previously been in the Navy, but only for a few weeks. It was five weeks, I believe. Grimson thought that Sean was good-looking and vulnerable, a combination that really appealed to him. They met up again at Joanna's nightclub in Southsea and he'd asked Sean who was steaming drunk at this time if he wanted to leave, which he did, and they caught a taxi to Grimson's flat. Grimson quickly wanted sex and told Sean it was time, but Sean said no, this wasn't what he wanted to do. Grimson got angry and told Sean that he would hurt him if he didn't have sex with him and he punched him hard. Grimson then stripped, tortured and raped Sean on a number of occasions. When morning came, Sean just wanted to escape from the scene of absolute horror and said he wanted to leave now. But Grimson, he'd been longing for that same feeling of elation he experienced when he had murdered Nicholas Wright and he had no plans to let Sean go anywhere at all. A terrified Sean was made to lean into a bathtub as his wrists and ankles were bound and Grimson then put a towel over his head to avoid the mess created by his previous killing. He picked up his baseball bat and took a few practice swings before he landed a sickening thud on Sean's head, smashing his skull, and he followed this up quickly with six more terrible blows. Sean crumpled to the floor. At just 20, he lost his life in Grimson's bathroom. But Grimson was disappointed by the experience, telling detectives that he hadn't got the same thrill out of killing the barman as he'd experienced with the murder of Nicholas Wright. Once more, Grimson wrapped his victim in plastic, bundled him into the boot of his car and drove towards Winchester where he dumped him in a shallow grave. Grimson explained to detectives that both killings had not been sexually motivated, but they were all about control and power. Grimson said that when he had wrapped up the body of Nicholas Wright whilst naked, he'd felt a tingling sensation and he'd wanted to feel that again. He added that both of the killings had been followed by a second sensation of achievement at what he had done. He told police that he felt he needed an audience and that he had a strong desire to show detectives that he had done it. On Christmas Eve, Alan Grimson appeared before magistrates in Portsmouth charged with the two murders, before being jailed for life at his trial, after admitting the murders of 18-year-old Nicholas Wright and 20-year-old Sean Jenkins. At the trial, further details of his interviews with detectives were revealed, when he said that from early on in his naval career, he joined in 1978, he held the opinion that, if he wanted to rape someone, the best way to get away with it would be to kill them. He described incidents when he had taken young men, some of them sailors, back to his flat and that on a couple of occasions he had wanted to kill them 
but had been prevented from doing so for a variety of reasons. Grimson had described to the police being frustrated with these lost opportunities. The detectives had also recovered a diary from his flat, in which he described being on duty on HMS Bristol. One of the more chilling pieces that he wrote was when he said he had gone into the cadets' mess and had molested the young men. He wrote that he wanted to do more, but had decided to go to bed. The court was told that psychiatrists had been divided over Grimson's mental state. One regarded him as a psychopath, the most complex of the 250 murderers he had dealt with in his career. But overall, the weight of opinion suggested that Grimson was responsible for his actions. Sentencing Grimson at Winchester Crown Court, Judge Peter Cresswell said, You are a serial killer in nature, if not by number. You are a highly dangerous serial killer who killed two young men in horrifying and appalling circumstances. The judge had no doubts that Grimson was an extreme danger to the public and commented on the following aggravating features of his crimes, which were two violent, wicked, cruel killings of two young men, the fact they were both carried out of extreme violence, breach of trust in the case of Nicholas Wright, the luring of both victims for sexual purposes, the manner of the killings, the mutilation of Nicholas Wright's body, the prolonged torture of Sean Jenkins, the delay in killing Sean Jenkins, and the fact that Brimson told police he would certainly have killed again. Judge Cresswell closed by saying, I express the profound sympathy of the court and the public to the families of the two deceased young men. But the court appearances were not the end of investigations into Alan Grimson, as detectives were as certain as they could be that he'd killed more people. Inquiries were actively instigated around the world in ports that Grimson had visited with the Navy, in case there were other unnamed victims to be found in unmarked graves. One police source said, We fear there may be as many as 15 other sailors who were victims around the world. Grimson frequented gay bars wherever he went, and it's highly likely that he killed other young men. One case in particular stood out, the disappearance of Simon Parks. From the age of 12, Simon from Kingswood in Bristol had always wanted to be a part of the Royal Navy, and he joined as soon as he left school. In 1986, at age 18, he'd been on HMS Illustrious on a Far Eastern tour, with the last stop being in Gibraltar in December, before arriving back home in the UK for Christmas. He'd enjoyed the trip enormously, but was looking forward now to being reunited with his family, and he'd arranged for special passes for them, so his family could greet him when he docked in England. Simon went out drinking with his shipmates on the evening of the 12th of December 1986 in Gibraltar. He was definitely seen leaving the Horseshoe Bar, telling his pals that he was off to get something to eat, after drinking a number of venues. But after that, the information is sketchy about what happened to him. Someone fitting his description was seen drunk at a nearby naval function, inside the Fleet Pavilion at the Hole in the Wall pub. If this was him, he was then believed to have taken a taxi to South Barracks, which at the time was used by the army. This taxi dropped him close to the barracks, but he never made it back to the ship. Grimson was on the same ship and was, according to witnesses, at some stage in the evening in the same bar as Simon. 
Simon Parks was young, slim and attractive, and he fitted exactly the victim profile detailed by Grimson. He was just the sort of young man that he targeted. When the 18-year-old sailor failed to return to his ship, the authorities assumed he'd gone AWOL. But the Royal Gibraltar Police were unable to locate him, and his passport belongings and the Christmas presents he bought for his family were found on board HMS Illustrious. The case was, in effect, closed as an unsolved missing persons inquiry. But police reopened the investigation, called Operation Thornhill, after Grimson's convictions. This led to a specialist search team, including officers from Hampshire Police and a sniffer dog from a German force, resuming the hunt for Simon in Gibraltar. They searched drains close to the military barracks where Simon was last seen, and used specially trained search dogs and dug up areas of garden near the South Barracks, just outside Gibraltar town, and land near the Peninsula Cemetery, but they found no clues to his disappearance. In July 2005, the BBC broadcast a programme called Body Hunt, the search for Simon Parks. This documentary highlighted the two witnesses who placed Grimson and Simon in the same pub at the same time, on the night that Simon disappeared. Another witness had told the programme that later that same night, he had left a Gibraltar bar with Grimson to find a young sailor waiting outside who fitted Simon's description. The three men had then walked back to HMS Illustrious together, but that only he had gone back on board. He said that Grimson and the young sailor walked away from the ship. Interviewed 13 years after Simon's disappearance, the witness had said that the young man looked like Simon, but that he could not identify him with 100% certainty. This prompted someone, a member of the public, to call in and give certain details which the police described as vital information. And in 2002, it was reported that Grimson had confessed to killing Simon and that he'd also hinted at two other men being buried nearby. The BBC said that during a police visit to Grimson, he had told one detective that he thought he might be involved in Simon's murder. According to Detective Constable Terry Fitzjohn, Grimson said, I sometimes think, well, did I do it? Have I done this? Did I go out, get drunk that night, and did I do it? And I can't remember. The BBC said that detectives also had information that Grimson had himself claimed responsibility for a string of murders, committed annually over a 10 to 12 year period, and which had begun when he was spurned by a young sailor. Grimson admitted during a police interview to having been jilted by a young sailor, but then, after a pause of about 20 seconds or so, he changed his mind and withdrew his admission. The police believed that Simon Parks was the young sailor in question, that he had rejected Grimson's advances, as Nicholas Wright had done, and that he had been murdered as a result. In October of the same year, Simon's disappearance was given a slot on Crime Watch. Through his solicitor, Grimson appealed to Ofcom about Crime Watch and Body Hunt, complaining and citing a number of disagreements such as not being given enough time to respond to issues in the programme, the lack of other suspects, and the fact that he had denied any connection to Simon's disappearance. But makers of both programmes argued that they had explored the other leads around what could have happened to Simon. For example, the police had established that a taxi driver had claimed that he'd picked Simon up and taken him to South Barracks, which had been an army base in 1986. Fifteen years later, when the police returned to Gibraltar to reinvestigate the case, 
They'd spoken to a woman who had claimed that she'd been told by a taxi driver that Simon had actually been killed in a row over a taxi fare. The police had interviewed the taxi driver, who denied the story, and he died of a heart attack just a few weeks later. The female witness also claimed that the taxi driver had told her that the young sailor had been buried in an area of ground at South Barracks. So the police searched the area using a variety of forensic archaeological methods, but found no sign of human remains. The detective team could not understand why Simon would want to go to South Barracks, since it was some distance from where HMS Illustrious was birthed. But in view of the suggestion that he'd found himself there, they investigated a further suggestion that he might have been killed by a soldier in revenge for the death of another soldier, allegedly at the hands of a sailor. The detective team traced and interviewed soldiers stationed at South Barracks in 1986 and found no evidence to substantiate the revenge attack theory. The BBC said that although South Barracks' lines of inquiries had looked initially promising, neither had proved productive, and the later discovery of the possible sighting of Simon with Grimson led the team back to him. The police had put this to Grimson during one of a series of police interviews about Simon's disappearance, when Grimson denied walking away from HMS Illustrious with the young sailor. The police file on the Simon Parts case is still open, and Grimson remains the police's prime suspect. Understandably so, I think, don't you? But detectives were concerned that through Grimson's half-confessions, he was playing mind games with them. A theory has emerged involving the dates of the killings. Simon Parks disappeared on December the 12th, the same day and month as Nicholas Wright's murder 11 days later, and Sean Jenkins' murder also took place in December 1998, although it appears as if the exact date is unknown. December the 12th was the anniversary of Grimson's father's death. Had he committed a murder every December the 12th between 1986 in 1998, giving a total death toll of a dozen victims. Simon's mum, Margaret, said that she and her husband, David, had accepted for a long time that their son was dead. It's just as if he disappeared off the face of the earth, she said. There are no clues, sightings, nothing. When he disappeared, the assumption was he had gone AWOL and they were looking for a person, not a body. It's not knowing that's the hard thing. When they start searching, it's very difficult waiting on the end of the telephone. We've been waiting to hear all these years just to find out what happened to our son. And every time a body is found in Gibraltar, Simon's family naturally wonder if it could be him. Fairly recently, police uncovered human remains in the botanical gardens, but the test showed that these were not Simon's body. His mum, Margaret, again issued a desperate plea to Grimson. She said, Please tell us the truth and end our nightmare. In December 1986, our world stopped. Not knowing what happened to Simon has haunted us since. We know he isn't alive, but we cannot begin to grieve. I need to know where Simon is. We want him to be found so we can bring him home and give him a proper burial. Simon's former girlfriend, Maria, also pleaded with Grimson, saying, Don't play mind games with us, she added. Ever since Simon vanished, we've been in limbo. He was my first love. I look for him in every man I meet. He was so special to me. It was love at first sight. He was so caring, considerate and sensitive. 
The tearful Maria appealed to him again, saying, Please tell us the whole truth. Stop playing games with us and the police. One other case that was strongly linked to Grimson took place on the other side of the world, in New Zealand. Keio Matsuzawa was a 29-year-old Japanese woman who always wanted to travel and worked hard to save the money she needed to get out to New Zealand. Keio wanted to explore and visit beautiful Auckland, but initially she was a little anxious about it and so asked a friend to go with her. Her friend unfortunately wasn't able to make the trip, but Keio was reassured from speaking to other people that Auckland was a beautifully safe place to travel to on her own. And so she flew there on the 11th of September 1998. And just 11 days later, Keo's naked, decomposing body was found by a technician in an alarm cupboard in a stairwell that links two downtown Auckland buildings. Police concluded that Keo was probably murdered on the very night she arrived in Auckland. The last confirmed sighting of her alive is the CCTV footage showing her getting off the airport shuttle and crossing the street towards the Queen Street backpackers, which she'd booked for an initial three nights. But tragically, she didn't even get to spend one night in the room, as it appeared she dropped her gear in the room before heading out to explore the city. What she did next, who she met, or where she went that day is a mystery. Back in those days with no mobiles, she hadn't even had time to send a postcard to her family, saying that she'd arrived safely. And at the time that Kaya was murdered, Grimson was in the city, based at the Devonport Naval Base Fire School as a trainer as part of an exchange programme. Detective Senior Sergeant Kevin Baker, who was leading the investigation, said police had always assumed that the killer had access to the centre court building where Kaya was found and knew about the alarm cupboard. And the manager of the company that maintained the alarms, Graham Osborne, knew Alan Grimson and had met him a few times at the fire school, and found him to be a normal sort of guy, whatever that means. He believed that his brief encounters with Grimson were just coincidental, and there was no reason for Grimson to have known about the centre court building. But he said that although the cupboard where Kea was found was locked when the body was discovered, a key was not needed, as the lock could easily be forced with a screwdriver. Detective Senior Sergeant Baker asked Interpol to obtain information on Grimson's movements from British police. But detectives remain cautious, mainly because Grimson appears to have targeted young men and there was nothing specifically to link him to Keo. Detective Baker concluded, I would have to say it's unlikely he is involved, but we certainly won't ignore the possibility. And although nobody has yet been charged with Keo's murder, there are also other strong suspects. What do you think? Would Grimson would have killed just as he'd the opportunity to experience the thrill of that power and control over another person again, male or female? In prison at Full Sutton, New York, Grimson made the news a few years ago when he was accepted as part of an internal Samaritan service to help fellow inmates who were vulnerable and struggling. He passed security and psychological tests to become a listener, but then he blew it when he pounced upon a 21-year-old man who was due to help and who rebuffed his sexual advances. So what do you make of what we've heard today and last week too? Just how many people has Alan Grimson killed? And how many innocent men have gone back to a room with him in ports around the world and been sexually assaulted, but still managed to escape with their life? 
In the hard-drinking culture of the Navy at the time, it was, I guess, relatively easy for Grimson to select and take his victims. And in interviews with police, he spoke of at least one other young man who he would certainly have killed if others didn't know he was spending the night with him. So many young men over those years that Grimson was in the Navy were classed as going AWOL when they disappeared, perceived as not wanting to be part of Navy life any longer. And so many others, locals, went missing when Grimson was in town. Just how many did he kill? And did he stick to that 12th of December date? Was it significant to him? Nicholas and Sean experienced the most dreadful, frightening deaths. And Grimson's elation at taking these lives is, I think, profoundly shocking. And how about Simon Parks and Keo Matazua? I think both are two of many further victims of Alan Grimson. Do you? Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. To discuss anything about this story or any other aspect of true crime, please join our Facebook group. You will be very, very welcome. And to support the show and help me to keep bringing you this free content weekly, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime, where for £3 a month you can access 29 full-length bonus episodes and other exclusive content. So that's all from me for today. So until we speak next week, have a good one, take it easy, and of course, be more like Bielsa in your life. And always stay classy. Cheerio for now.